Hello, everybody, and uh, thank you for joining. Um, we're here today to discuss the institutional perspective on digital assets, insurance, and investments, together with Hub Security's very own CRO, uh, David Hochhauser, alongside experts um, Joseph Seibert and Anker uh, Kaku. And we'll start our webinar with a brief introduction from our speakers, followed by an introduction from David on today's discussion topic. And then afterwards, we'll open uh, a bit of a deeper discussion on everything related to digital assets, custody, uh, and insurance, including its ongoing uh, threats and solutions. As usual, we'll leave about 30 minutes towards the end for a short Q&A. So if you have any questions throughout the discussion, feel free to drop them in the Q&A section below or if you can't find it, the chat works uh, works great too. And I'm joined now by Joseph Seibert. Hello, Hello. Joseph. Hi. Thank you for having me. Um, and uh, Ankur Kaku. Hi, thank you for having me. Good morning, everyone. Um, David, as usual, pleasure to have you here. Um, so I wanted to give you guys a chance just to briefly introduce yourselves. Let's start with uh, Joseph. Maybe you can give us a bit of information on your background and your field of expertise. Sure. So my name is Joseph Seibert. I'm the Managing Group Director and Senior Vice President of Digital Asset Banking for Signature Bank. I have over 20 years of commercial banking experience and been in this space since 2014. Uh, currently managing all things related to cash uh, flow and, and fiat movement behind Bitcoin and other digital asset trading uh, for all cryptocurrency clients uh, at Signature Bank. Uh, pleased to join and thank you again for having me. Great. Thank you, Joseph, for joining us today. Um, Ankur, why don't you go next? Thank you. Uh, hi, everyone. My name is Ankur Kakkur. Uh, I'm a senior vice president with Marsh. I've been with Marsh for uh, close to 13 and a half years now, uh, specializing in specie. Specie is essentially uh, insurance for high value assets and cryptocurrency falls within uh, that space as well. Uh, I also am the digital assets leader for Marsh UK and Ireland. Uh, and uh, I focus on all things insurance related in this space. Thank you for having me. Great, thanks for joining us. And lastly, we have David. Hey, uh, thank you for joining us. I'm Dave Hockhauser, um, Chief Revenue Officer for Hub Security. And for those who don't know Hub Security, um, we design our own hardware and software to build extremely uh, secure cybersecurity solutions, especially um, for protecting uh, digital assets. Um, so welcome to what I think will be a fascinating discussion. Uh, I think I'll just take a minute or so just to kind of give an overview of, you know, why um, we're kind of getting together and, and um, pulling this session together. Um, and then we can keep most of the session, you know, focused on our experts personally, who I've learned a lot from in the past as well. Um, so why, why do we really have Joseph and Anker here to talk about kind of institutional perspective on digital assets? And I'd say one is um, there is a ton of activity going on in digital assets, and there's really a lot of changes, you know, in, in so many different directions. Um, there are regulations changing. Um, you see new kinds of assets being introduced all the time, uh, different types of offerings around uh, the cryptocurrencies, a ton of new players. Um, and of course, constantly hear about, you know, security needs um, 
inside of this area and, and attempts of uh, trying to break in and how to protect it. So um, a lot of the new areas comes in as a constant stream of new companies coming in here. And I would say some are legitimate and some you're taking your chances are a bit more risky. Um, but also there are major institutional players in here and, you know, and expanding this market. So kind of this, the focus of this session is really two major players, two major institutional players and really hear from them um, what's happening um, in the market from their perspective. And I'll kind of break it out into three general categories um, and, and questions are open to, to everything, by the way. Um, one, let's just talk about the market in general. What's the uh, landscape that's going on in banking? What major news might be happening? Uh, kind of insurance in the market, security, just the market in general to kind of give you some insights. Um, one insights from about digital assets from signature banks perspective, how they're dealing with regulations and volumes and stable coins and how things are growing. Um, let's look at it from insurance. Um, how, we, how does that really work insurance with, with crypto assets? What are some actual situations? What's the coverage really about in the process? And three, a little bit about uh, some of the security with respect to digital assets and with respect to insurance as well. So, and finally, um, a little bit of insight on the direction and the roadmap that's, that's occurring in these, um, where Signature Bank is actually headed, the whole insurance industry security, where these general areas are heading. And I think um, together, I think you'll at least get a good understanding of, of the market, where things are and some, um, some critical topics and where things are headed. So. Um, sit back and enjoy and feel free to type in questions. We'll either answer them at the end or, you know, take them along the way as, as we go through this. Okay, back to you, Stoney. Thanks. Great. Thanks, David. Um, so like you said, we're going to start off with the first topic uh, for today's discussion, which is uh, the market. And I wanted to start with you, Joseph, and um, ask you if there are any recent updates or changes to the U.S. Uh, banking landscape for digital um, for digital assets and um, what you can tell us about that. Yeah, sure. So it's, it's kind of been an, uh, a fascinating year from a lot of different perspectives, you know, with the price volatility being what it is for Bitcoin uh, and then regulation kind of going back and forth. Um, and then today's announcement was Circle uh, going public. So what we're seeing in the U.S. from a banking landscape is still a flat line for other institutions entering the space which has really allowed us to kind of look at everything and not worry so much about ultra competition, but how we can improve our products and services. So when you look at the price volatility and Bitcoin dropping, uh, just hovering you know, below 33,000 a coin today, you, know, you would expect our deposits to decrease, which a lot of people have this uh, assumption that's what happens in, in the banks that are involved in this space. And it's been quite the opposite. You know, we don't really entertain the retail sector, which is people buying and selling one Bitcoin or a fraction thereof. You know, we're more institutional focused at Signature and, and what we tend to see is the institutions buying the dip. And uh, I think a lot of that activity occurred in late April, early May. And now we're seeing a little bit of a, a, a stable flatline uh, approach uh, from the industry. It's been a, a quiet couple of weeks, you know, a couple of holidays sprinkled in between Memorial Day and, and 4th of July here in the US, but this market never sleeps. Um, our, our platform Signet never sleeps and we still see increased volume and activity on the trading side, which is I think a very good positive. Uh, now, 
recent news has come out for Binance uh, that has been negative over in the UK, uh, but they've made some key hires. And I think that was important for our US regulators, especially with Brian Brooks joining Binance as the CEO, former bank regulator. You know, I think that was a very key hire for Binance and really let them put their footprint on what they're looking to do here with US you know, adoption. And retail adoption still a ways away here, but I think institutional adoption is really picking up steam. And uh, I think Binance recognized that. Couple that with, you know, the UK negative news, which was really around their derivatives, you know, advertising and marketing. Uh, I think there was a big misconception that Binance was quote in trouble. And, um, and I can tell you, they're really taking a lot of steps and measures to, to push forward, um, you know, partnering with banks, uh, like ourselves and, and really trying to, you know, define how to do this the right way. So that's been a, an up and down type of scenario. But with Circle going, you know, out in the public today saying they're filing uh, to be listed on the New York Stock Exchange, I think it's huge news, you know, for stable coins to finally be um, recognized uh, as a listed uh, stock would be a, a very good conversation uh, between now and, and, and the time they get listed and, and beyond. I think that's huge news. And I think the OCC, the NYDFS, the FDIC all will uh, have to take note of this now that this is really a mainstream token. You know, USDC is used worldwide, uh, used heavily. And uh, I think it's a, a great thing for Jeremy Allaire, Patrick Corker and the team over at Circle uh, to make that announcement today. So we're excited. We continue to push forward, look at our, our regulators, the landscape we have in front of us, um, and, and follow the plan that we've set forth, which is extensive due diligence, guardrails around certain jurisdictions and funds flow, uh, and making sure we understand Bitcoin's movement on the blockchain. You know, are these coins that are being traded touching dark markets? Are they clean coins? You know, so using tools like Chainalysis and CypherTrace uh, has been helpful for the bank as well. Uh, but in a nutshell, as we sit here a little bit past the halfway point in the year, um, I think we're going to see a, a pretty exciting finish to this year in this space and, and for Bitcoin in general. Well, thank you, Joseph. Um, definitely agree. I think that uh, stable coins will be you know, the token to pave the way uh, for acceptance and adoption of many other cryptocurrencies. And we have now um, Celo as well and DMs. There's some chatter that they're going to be launching soon. Um, which is uh, the new coin from the Facebook, uh, the DM Association. I don't want to say Facebook Association, but the DM Association, which is one of the companies of the 27 is Facebook. Okay, um, Encore, next to you, uh, what kind of insurances um, are available for digital assets currently on the market? So, uh, I mean, there are various, any insurance which we're which we providing for these companies is not different to what a traditional company would, would buy. Right. Uh, so, you know, if it, if it was a bank like Joseph's, uh, it's all the all the traditional policies which they need to buy, which is uh, directors and officers, professional indemnity, crime, uh, specie for protecting their you know cash or or gold which they have uh, in storage. Uh, it's just about making sure that the product which they're buying or the wording which they're buying is tailor-made for the exposure which they have. Because the traditional products, the traditional off-the-shelf products don't have uh, or were not made 
for uh, cryptocurrencies or digital assets. And it's about knowing what needs to be done in order to change the product, uh, approaching the right insurers who have experience uh, in writing digital asset risks uh, and who know who, what they're underwriting and you know, can envisage the loss scenarios which may come out uh, out of uh, providing these products. Uh, I know Joseph spoke about a number of you know, various things which the FCA here in the UK is, uh, is talking about, but then if you, uh, if you actually go a little further off, uh, Germany has come out with a very, very good regulation, uh, and that came into effect on the 1st of July, actually, where every single uh, special fund based out of Germany is allowed to invest 20% of their portfolio into cryptocurrency companies or digital asset companies, which essentially means about $415 billion of investment could be going into digital asset companies from German funds. Now, how does that translate into insurance? All funds uh, or all, uh, every single fund entity or private equity fund, venture capitalist fund, whatever you call it, requires directors and officers, professional indemnity and a crime insurance policy to run their business. That essentially is an investor requirement, which is part of their uh, memorandum or PPM. However, now if they start investing into cryptocurrency and digital asset companies, the traditional insurers who provide this, provide these insurance policies for them, start to take a step back because the traditional insurers have not been providing uh, insurance to any companies in this particular space. Uh, and therefore, they now need to go into specialized insurers who, who know this space uh, and have been writing business in this space uh, for the last five, six, seven years since, since Bitcoin started uh, back in 2008, uh, where insurance really caught up only in 2014. Uh, so there are various host of insurance policies which are available, which are available to anybody and everybody is just about partnering with the right uh, intermediary and partnering with the right insurer in order to make sure that the product which they buy is fit for purpose. Thank you, Ankur. Um, Joseph, I wanted to get your thoughts on the recent news um, where China um, and so reportedly cracking down on mining operations there. And, you know, we just got a actually a question from one of our, um, one of our viewers um, and they, they asked a similar question. Uh, what are your high level thoughts on the recent crackdown? Um, hash rate has declined and miners have moved out of China to restart their operations elsewhere. Do you think that this is part of a larger play to implement uh, the digital uh, yuan in the consumer economy? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. I do agree with that statement. I think that there's always a motive for these types of moves and one can never be certain what the Chinese government's you know, end play is, but we have a lot of clients that are, that are mining facilities, hosting, and they've really picked up and left and gone to Canada and the U.S. And in the, in the process of that, have asked us a lot of questions, you know, what, what is the U.S.'s perspective on this? And, you know, 
I think it's going to throw a wrench into things for the uh, you know short term, but in the long term, I think that it'll increase efficiency, be friendlier to the ecosystem. You know, a lot of companies are looking at you know wind energy, solar energy, and you know I, I think that as we evolve here in the U.S. and Canada, uh, it'll be a good home you know for the mining facilities, and and a lot of them have started this transition before that announcement. I think with the fear of that announcement. But the crackdown has really been so sudden uh, and, and harsh that um, some of them have just stopped operations completely. And it's, it's sad in a way because um, I think there's a, a bigger motive here. But, uh, you know, when you look at it, too, from an exchange or a mining farm, as we continue to see the halving incidents every four years, it's going to put a lot more strain on miners to be profitable. So essentially, they would be consumed by larger mining facilities anyway. But uh, it's really going to start to eliminate the, the smaller shops. And uh, but yeah, I think the uh, the one comment is uh, it's it's out there. It's been tinkered with, and I, and I think that is certainly in play here. You know, it's a, I was curious. It's, I would think not knowing China's motives, but they generally like central control. Um, Bitcoin is complete opposite of central control. I would think that has once then something to do with it. But the other thing too is, Joseph, I think it's just um, Bitcoin is only one cryptocurrency. I don't know if it slows down the whole market as opposed to, and, and it'll probably pick up as he said, as Joseph said, in, in other countries. Um, but also just keep in mind, they're still moving well ahead very fast with it, with their own digital currency and stuff. So I'm not sure it slows down the digital currency as much as it may have some impact on Bitcoin itself. Correct. In, in yeah, I agree. Um, moving on to our next uh, topic for today, which is just general insights. Um, Joseph, I wanted to get your take on how how a signature bank handling uh, the regulatory conversations moving forward as the largest uh, crypto-friendly bank in the crypto space today. So, so we've, you know, started to transition. You know, as as a publicly traded bank audited uh, by, you know, governed by the NYDFS, which is New York Department of Financial Services, and the FDIC, we get two different bodies looking at us. And so, what we try to do is collaborate with both and, and share information and be open and uh, transparent. So with that comes a lot of, you know, transactional flow that we analyze. Um, but key, you know, for us is we're transitioning to a Bitcoin leverage product. So we're going to launch uh, lending for institutions backed by Bitcoin, partnering with a custodian uh, to keep the bank, you know, uh, safe from, from, you know, being a target for, for, for Bitcoin. Um, and it won't just be Bitcoin. You know, we're going to look at Ethereum. Um, I think that's a, a major uh, pinpoint to making this program successful. So now having these conversations with regulators on how the, the lending program works uh, is a, is a re-education of our space, you know, and, you know, they haven't had a lot of banks our size get into this here in the U.S. And so we're, they're kind of using us as a, as a training portal, uh, although governing us and making sure we're doing everything properly. So it's an ongoing fluid conversation. I can tell you they spend a lot of time uh, on our focus, on our client base, but they've been very open. And, and I think um, that's the best way to move forward. You know, we've had a new administration come into office this year uh, in the White House. So we're still waiting to see how that shakes out in, you know, the totality of the four-year term. 
But uh, so far, I think a lot of the adoption Brian Brooks put in place beforehand with the OCC guidance uh, is now being looked at by every governing body, you know, with, with respect to stablecoin and reconciliation. Everyone's worried about, is there enough dollars behind the, the tokens that are being minted? Um, so that's still an ongoing concern. And transparency is key. As you know, a lot of these stablecoin projects and the administrators are responsible for you know, having third-party audit firms produce attestations, making sure the money is there. Um, so I think if we move to a live daily snapshot and dashboard, much like, you know, true USD trust token adopted, uh, that'll give everyone ease. Uh, you know, so they have really given the public insight to, to how much is in circulation uh, every day. And because it's tough, you know, again, with 24-7 minting and burning of these tokens, it's, it's hard to reconcile. So having these open conversations with our regulators is, uh, is important. And I feel that there's uh, less pressure and more uh, let's work together. Interesting. Encore, for, um, for you, I, want, I wanted to try to maybe understand how, um, how you guys over at Marsh um, determine the valuation um, of cryptocurrencies currently and then leading and segueing into maybe a discussion a bit about you know how the insurance policies um, work and what the coverage would actually provide. Um, yeah, I, I think valuation is a very very important question in this particular space, uh, basically because of the simple fact that it is so volatile currently and and, and always has been. Uh, and therefore, it's it's very very important when you buy insurance policy to to, to put down a right valuation uh, and a valuation method. Uh, so what what we end up doing is essentially having you know various rounds of discussions with clients as to how do they do the valuation for their own customers. Uh, is it a uh, combination of various exchanges? Is it a combination of one exchange uh, or is it something else? Uh, what you need to make sure is you get to a, a not a vague answer. It needs to be an accurate answer uh, or an accurate value uh, at the, on the date of the loss. Uh, so if, if you know, so, somebody was hacked and uh, they lost one Bitcoin. The value which they've actually lost is the value of the Bitcoin on that particular day. Uh, I know it can it can really really vary uh, on one day as well. But then we come out an average value on that particular day, uh, either using Coin Market Cap or some other source, uh, which helps in determining the value uh, you know, of of these currencies. Uh, there's a, there, there was a question in the Q&A about NFTs, and you know, I'd probably like to take that up as well, uh, which is very, very topical at this point of time, I think. Uh, and it's somewhere linked to the valuation as well, uh, because NFTs at this point of time do not have a third-party valuation source at all, uh, unless and until they are being resold, or unless and until they've been sold. Therefore, any value which you put to an NFT is essentially a value which somebody is willing to pay for it. Uh, so, you know, I, I'm guessing everybody knows about the famous uh, Beeple art 
5,000 days, which was sold for $69.3 million by Christie's. Uh, and, but if, if you look at it, whoever bought it at $69.3 million, are they able to reset, resell that at more, less, or at the same price? You, you don't know, because there is no valuation source. It's just about what somebody is willing to pay for it. And I think the person who bought it also mentioned in an article after that, or an interview after that, that he would have paid much more for that instead of just $69.3 million. So NFT valuation is kind of impossible right now, uh, unless and until it's been sold or resold, uh, and then you can put a value to it. Cryptocurrency valuation, a little much, much easier right now, uh, because you have various sources which you can peg the currency to on the date of the loss. Great, thanks, Ankur. Um, I guess generally people want to know, is a cyber policy what I need to cover the loss of my digital assets? So that is the biggest misconception uh, going around in the market. Uh, a cyber policy does not cover loss of money. Let's look at it you know, in a traditional banking environment. Traditional banks buy cyber policies, but they do not buy cyber policies to protect their electronic cash. That cannot be covered under a cyber policy. A cyber policy protects the personally identifiable information which you have and liability associated if you lose that personally identifiable information, or it, it protects you for any business interruption losses which you may have. And when I say business interruption losses, I mean non-material business interruption losses. There are, there are property policies which cover material damage business interruption losses, but cyber policies will cover you if you've been hacked and you can't you know, operate your systems. There's a revenue loss which you, may which you may have because of that. And that's what a cyber policy will cover you for. So if traditional banks buying cyber policies cannot protect their electronic cash or electronic securities via a cyber policy, there is no way that a digital asset company or a cryptocurrency company can protect the digital assets via cyber policy. What people get confused with is the, the cause of the loss is a cyber attack and therefore a cyber policy is what they need to buy. No. What you need to look at is what have you lost? You've lost assets or you've lost money, which, which are always covered under a crime policy or a species policy. And therefore you need to buy those policies in order to protect or in order for you to recover uh, the loss of assets or cash. Great, thanks for clearing that up for us. Um, Joseph, over to you. Maybe you can share any, um, well, do you have any recent news to share related to Signet and its volume? Yeah, so um, some recent news was, you know, Trust Token, TrueUSD uh, integrated. We became their banking partner to hold the majority of their stablecoin reserves, but they plugged into the API. So you now can mint and burn uh, that stablecoin on Signet. So pretty exciting news for the, you know, landscape of stablecoins, having more, uh, you know, our clients have more ability to, to go in and out of multiple coins now. And, uh, Signet's volume, you know, like I was mentioning before, has, has 
picked up um, instead of dropping off. And what's great is there's more institutions joining the network every day. Uh, even though we're cautious with who we onboard, we, we still want to help the ecosystem. You know, the exchanges need certain, you know, uh, counterparties on there for liquidity and settlement 24 seven. Um, so we're starting to see a lot more uptick on, on the off hours for banks, you know, on the overnights, the Saturdays, Sundays, you know, bank holidays on Mondays, um, which I think is, you know, two years in the making, but people are finally seeing the, the light that this can be a tool, um, not only for uh, movement of USD, but we have bigger plans for Signet. You know, we want to look at, you know, other tokenization projects, you know, foreign exchange, you know, there's so much so much clunky uh, payments out there for people uh, and, and the rails need to be improved. So for us having uh, true USD on there um, was a big, big lift. You know, there's more exchanges adopting the API so they can automate, you know, orders for clients. Um, so I think we'll only see a, a bigger uptick, but we're, we're gonna have our earnings call next week as a bank and um, we'll be sharing a, a little bit more insight on, on what some of the numbers look like, but uh, it's been an uptick. It's been great to see. That's great. Um, Encore, uh, we spoke a bit about, you know, um, cyber, cyber uh, I think a cyber policy and um, the insurance packages um, that are offered, but um, have there been any insured losses in the market uh, today, any big ones? that uh, you can share with us? So, uh, no, there ha hasn't been any insured losses in the market. Uh, all the losses which we keep hearing about, all, all the major hacks which we keep hearing about uh, have been uninsured. Uh, and a little bit what you come to know about the technology uh, of these uh, companies who've had losses, who've been hacked, or if, you know, CEOs have run away with, uh, with, with access to, to private keys, all of that stuff. Uh, what we believe is if those companies actually came to market, the insurers would not have provided them insurance either. Uh, because what insurers are looking at at this point of time are the best in class insurers. Uh, because it's still a very, very uh, niche market. The market is in its infancy in this particular space and therefore needs to build up a capital base before they can start writing business, which uh, you know uh, gives them losses. So, but thankfully till, till date, there hasn't been any insured losses, but I'm sure there might be some, some in the future. Thank you. Um, something interesting I, I recently read about was um, how ransomware um, uh, groups have been using the insurance valuation that some, some clients have been receiving in order to, to help them ascertain what the ransomware amount uh, should, should be um, when, during an attack when, when attacking, uh, which I just thought was really interesting and kind of puts a point on the importance of also protecting, you know, and the, the insurance partner um, as well and protecting the data from, from the clients. Um, David, I have a question for you. Um, sure. Security is a cybersecurity company. Um, 
what does cybersecurity have to do with digital assets and insurance <laughs> if it wasn't already yeah. there at this point? Maybe Good you could give us, yeah, just a bit more of an idea of what the role, what kind of role um, the cybersecurity solutions play in protecting uh, custodial services. Yeah, I'll give you a brief overview. And, um, and I'm glad to hear I'm not the only one who periodically has a dog barking in the background. Um, <laughs> these things are impossible to control. Um, so one, from my perspective, obviously, uh, security in digital assets is really is, is central, you know, has everything to do with it. Um, at a high level to understand digital assets is essentially cryptography and keys and protecting your keys. The keys are, are kind of, um, they're equivalent to cash. And so if you look at one aspect of the things is a range of transactions, one aspect you have to protect is you put your cash in some sort of safe mechanism. Um, think, think of it as a wallet, you know, and usually if you have cash, you put your cash inside of either you're going to hold it in your wallet or if you get enough of it, you might put it into into a bank or, you know, as, as holding it as in custodian. So, you know, people ask, well, how do you how do you decide in the difference? I mean, again, if you think of it as cash, if you have $100, you might just put it in your wallet. If you have $100,000, you might decide, you know, it's not safe in my wallet. Let me go to a bank. And if you go to the bank and have them hold it, um, you'd be a little bit nervous if they just took that money and they put it in their desk drawer and said, ah, you know, let me let me store it for you. So you're assuming the bank has far more security. And if I, I take that analogy a little a little bit further, they're also actually insured up to a point. So when you look at all of these digital assets, I think there's two things. There's one is the group that's actually holding these assets and the amount you have, you're putting it in the right place and the group that's actually holding it, putting in and have enough security. So you end the processes in place. So you don't hear about theft or loss and there are some who, you know, where things have been lost and stolen. So one, you need an extremely safe environment. So there is a, an enterprise level of security that needs to go on. And two, you also want to know up to a point at least that there is some level of comfort, you know, that it is backed by some degree of, um, it's really, in, in this case, as we learned, it's really specie and crime policy insurance that it is insured as well. So behind all of this, for, the, for people to actually have the comfort of transacting and investing in and transacting in digital assets, I think the security is really the key to actually providing you know, that level of comfort for all of this business to actually occur in the first place. Great, thanks, David. Um, now we'll move on to the third topic for, for tonight's discussion, which is kind of looking forward, looking ahead, uh, what the roadmap looks like um, going into further into 2021 and into 2022. Um, so Joseph, maybe you can share, can you share, are there any details that you can share um, about uh, Signature Bank and its digital roadmap going forward? Yeah, um, yeah sure, more than happy to. So as we expand our team uh, and the digital asset banking sector, we're growing pretty rapidly. We're adding components and layers to it now. So we have a, a risk uh, component broken out of six individuals. We're probably gonna expand that even further. And then we're gonna look to have credit training uh, lending officers inside our, our digital team for the Bitcoin leverage product and hopefully eventually an Ethereum, um, even a USDC product uh, potentially down the road. So um, as we look at the future, the rest of this year and, and next year, 
we're heavily focused on on the lending aspect of it, making sure we do the first tranche of money the right way. Uh, and we're also focused on, you know, institutional onboarding for the counterparties that aren't here, you know, the ones that need assistance in Asia and Europe because we're global friendly, you know, the ones that have taken a, a long time to kind of adopt a new bank. Um, and there's still a lot of big players out there that need settlement and 24-7 and settlement for USD. Uh, we have to also, you know, look at the FX landscape, you know, our foreign exchange, um, a lot of Liquidity providers are very nervous about third-party payments, you know, when it comes to what's backing this, you know, large sum of money moving from Europe to the U.S. and back, or Asia to the U.S. and back. And, you know, the complexities around each transaction, I think, is something we, we've become more comfortable with explaining. Um, but utilizing our tools from Chain Analysis and CypherTrace uh, will become more apparent. Um, and then third, automation. So we want to really move to automation of onboarding, you know, looking at KYC protocols and really adopting a faster process that doesn't deter from the checks and balances we have in place uh, on a manual side right now. But it's a heavy lift on a manual side. There's a lot we look at from beneficial ownership to counterparty risk uh, to jurisdictions, neighboring jurisdictions, negative news. So realizing all that and wrapping it up into one package will be pretty much our focus as we move and shift into the the new age of this and you know i think there's a lot of good companies out there that could help i think if we outsource you know we'll have to heavily think about what partners would be best suited and if we take it internally then you know infrastructure has to be built out but what's exciting is the space is growing so much and our bank is you know really focused on it um deploying resources where we need and really trying to do it the right way. Uh, we have an executive management team that is, you know, full steam ahead, very supportive and uh, very communicative, you know, and a lot of banks, and if there's a bankers listening out there, you know what I mean when you can't always talk to the top and, and here you can at Signature. And, and that's been a key component of our success as a team. So, you know, those things are what we're, we're primarily focused on. Uh, and then I would say from a client perspective, the more of them that automate through the API uh, and, and able to settle their transactions 24 seven on Cigna, the easier their uh, infrastructure will become. It'll improve their bottom lines to not have to deploy labor to do manual entry uh, and exchanges. No, it's, it's, it's near impossible. It's, it's too much of a lift, you know, and uh, to fill order books manually, so archaic. Um, so really taking the bank into the digital era um, the first three years, uh, this is now our fourth year, has been a great challenge, but I think now we have to step it up a notch and, and really look at the landscape for the next three years, which in turn is, is five years in any other sector. So uh, exciting things to come. Yeah, and we're all looking forward. Uh, thank you, Joseph. Ankur, um, I wanted to get to your take. What, what is the future of digital asset insurance? What does it look like uh, to you and your team? So uh, I think the more regulations come in, uh, there will be an uptake in insurance uh, as well. Uh, from from the client's perspective, uh, from the insurer's perspective, uh, and more capacity will come in. Uh, it's all about it's it, it's it's if you look at it, uh, what happened to cyber insurance 25, 25 years ago. Uh, when it first was introduced, there weren't any regulations around it. 
there are very few uh, carriers who are providing it. Uh, and certainly when we, we were hit with regulations all across the world, a lot of insurance carriers came in, capacity came in, and everybody wanted to buy. Uh, so there was some structure around it, which insurers could piggyback on and provide that solution to clients. Uh, and that's the same thing which will happen to the digital assets world as well. Uh, regulations come in, uh, insurers piggyback on, on that, uh, more capacity comes in. Uh, I, I tend to get you know, questions from, from clients uh, almost on a weekly basis, how much can you get us uh, in terms of insurance capacity? And I'm ashamed to tell them how much we can get them because that is a fraction of the total assets and the custody which they have. Uh, and every single client in this space is looking to buy dollar for dollar insurance. If they have billions of dollars worth of assets, they want billions of dollars worth of insurance. Unfortunately, the insurance market is just not there right now. And I'm talking about the insurance market being there close to about half a billion or you know, 600 million is what they can provide. Uh, but as and when regulations come in, more insurers will uh, step in, provide more capacity will come in, pricing will come down, and that's what, and it and it will become uh, another class of insurance business in the future, in my opinion. Thanks, Ankur. Lastly, um, David, we'll question free before we move into Q and A, um, and a reminder to uh, our audience if you have any questions shoot them at us in the Q&A now, um, and we'll get to them very soon. So David, my final question for you. Um, I understand health security is moving ahead uh, with a new security paradigm that will increase the protection of digital assets. Maybe you can explain what that is and why it's relevant to our discussion today. Uh, sure, so um, first of all, the new, Kind of new security paradigm what people move into is something called um, confidential computing and if you think of it you know information and everything is um, secured when it's you know in motion when it's when it's at rest but now actually a lot of exposure occurs while it's actually being used which is kind of a tough conflict because you need the data to be open to operate on at the same time that's when it, it's most sensitive and even the and even the applications so there's a range of things. You have both the security hardware things that are protecting the keys for the assets, but you also need an extremely secure uh, environment to protect all the rest of the sensitive uh, data and applications that's actually do, uh, managing and doing the transaction. So it's not just the keys. If you think of it, um, there are approval processes to move funds that, that have to go on. I mean, I've, Seeing stories of people using voice simulators to simulate a CEO's voice and go ahead and pretend they're them and get funds transferred from one place to the other and approve, you know, and send approval. So they break into those things. They break into the processes that are actually uh, moving moving it along. Um, there are the actual uh, pro even the audit logs. If you're doing hacking, one of the things you start to do is you modify. You want to get rid of your trail of what you've done, you'd even go in and break into audit logs and manage it. So there's a whole range of things and processes that are going on that you need to secure as well as just, you know, let me just protect the keys. There's 
tons of ways of actually getting into it. So what we've moved to is a whole thing that's essentially putting confidential computing at, at the core of it, arranged with a whole other range of security uh, mechanisms that deal with, you know, not only protecting the keys, but deal with the actual applications that are running to, to, uh, to do the transactions, to protect the logs, to protect the storage. Um, and that whole, that whole platform, it's almost looking at it as almost a secure data center in a box. So you can run the entire environment and all the transactions occurring, not just, not just keys. And then you, you send them off and do, and that's what we look at as kind of setting the, really the new paradigm of where the whole, of where the industry is going to head is in this confidential computing platform concept to protect your entire operating environment. Thank you, David. Um, yeah, I think that's definitely going to become more and more relevant with uh, the expansion of 5G and IoT solutions. Um, but that's for another webinar. And right now, I just wanted to get into um, Q&A. First of all, thank you guys. <clears throat> Excuse me. Thank you guys so much for a wonderful discussion. Um, now I wanted to uh, include the audience a bit. Um, my first question, or the first question uh, here that I have is um, from Ken, and I'm gonna, this is for Joseph. Um, Ken is asking, how does the key management service work at Signature Bank? So it's a private closed loop blockchain signets and influence off of the Ethereum protocol. So it, it is essentially ERC-20 compliant, but we have a, a third party called Tacit, which is formerly known as True Digital that manages our nodes and private keys internally. So, uh, you know, one day if that opens up and the four walls uh, break, um, maybe a little different scenario, but that's how it's uh, governed today. Great, right, thanks, Joseph. Um, we have another question here and I'm just gonna shoot, you know, shoot and feel free to respond, um, either Ankur or Joseph. Um, Jeffrey is asking, with the amount of leverage being offered in the crypto industry today, where some go up to 200 times, in your view, should we be concerned of another Hellstatt-like event? I don't know if I pronounced that right, Hellstatt or Hellstatt. I don't mind starting. If uh, Anchor wants to chime in, please feel free. I think um, that's dangerous. And there's a lot of firms that do leverage that don't do it for security or safety. They do it for yield. And... Um, our approach is going to be the opposite. So we're going to look for, uh, you know, almost double, if not more collateral and give a premium rate, you know? So if you look at prime rate in the US, um, it'll be prime plus a, a margin, but we want extra collateral because, you know, if you look at margin calls, it's so volatile. You know, if you're a firm and, uh, you know, you go to sleep on Friday night, you wake up Saturday, you could have half of your, your Bitcoin gone, right? So uh, from that perspective, you have to top off. The margin call has to be made. And I think it's important for any lender in this space to, to really over-collateralize as to not have to liquidate. You want to be able to, to manage margin calls and not liquidate someone's position. That's not good for anyone. Um, so I think a lot of the companies aren't doing it the right way. They're doing it just purely for profit, which there's nothing wrong in the long term with that, but for the community, it's it's not the right approach in my opinion. Yeah, I would completely agree with that as well, Joseph. Um, I know a, a few companies who uh, are actually, uh, you know, over leveraging their balance sheet uh, to buy Bitcoin 
uh, and you know, like you said, buy the dip. Uh, and that is actually an insurance nightmare, uh, especially from a DNO perspective, uh, because DNO insurers look at, uh, as it is very of providing insurance to these companies. Uh, and when, 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 when they see a balance sheet, which is over leveraged on Bitcoin, uh, they just run to the hills. So really not a good idea. Thanks, Ankur. Thanks, Joseph. Um, for Ankur, <clears throat> excuse me, how often do your clients adjust their limits um, during the policy period? And how do you make sure that when there's a jump in uh, Bitcoin price, that the policy isn't suddenly underinsured? So uh, most of the clients are already un underinsured uh, because they have billions of dollars worth of assets under custody. But because the insurance market is not able to provide uh, those billions of dollars of limit, uh, therefore the clients know they're underinsured. The insurance market knows that uh, the client is not buying full insurance, but that's a quirk of the market. So they can't really penalize them. Uh, but there are uh, clients who don't hold billions of dollars worth of assets. Uh, and what we offer them is essentially an adjustable policy where uh, they, they declare the assets to us you know, on a monthly basis or on a quarterly basis. Uh, and we keep adjusting that policy uh, accordingly, which is on a rate which is already uh, negotiated and fixed with the insurer up front. So the, the client also knows what they're gonna be paying a month down the line or a quarter down the line uh, and if there is a sudden spike, then you know we deal with that on, a, on an immediate basis because we have the uh, facilities with us uh, in order to place this business, uh, and and the insurer uh, you know recognize the urgencies urgencies as well. So it all it all takes care of it itself. Great. Well, thank you, uh, thank you, Ankur, and thank you everyone for joining us today, and thank you especially to our speakers. Um, David, Joseph, and um, we hope that uh, we'll have many more discussions like these in the future. Um, but thank you for um, for today's uh, for today's discussion, and um, we hope that uh, you're all staying safe and healthy at home. And um, if anybody would like to get in touch with today's speakers, you can feel free to reach out to them directly. All of the Attendees today will be receiving an email in the coming days with contact information uh, of each of our panelists. So don't be afraid to drop them a line. And if you have uh, any other questions, just reach out to them. Um, and if you'd like to stay up to date on Health Security's upcoming webinars, you can follow us on LinkedIn and on Twitter. Um, I also uh, would recommend to follow our Medium Digest um, on Medium, our Weekly Digest, excuse me, on Medium. Um, to get uh, the latest stories coming out of the crypto and cybersphere. Um, so thank you once again to Ankur, Joseph, and David. Thank you, Shani. Thank you. Thanks, Shani. And thanks, Joseph and Ankur. Speak to everybody soon. Have a good day. Thank you. Cheers. Bye. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye.